reading out of the New King James Version of the Scripture, Genesis chapter 50, starting at verse 15. When you're there, say hallelujah. Okay. All right, look behind me up there. When you're there, say praise the Lord. All right, there were four that time. That's, we're growing. That's wonderful. Went from one to four. Amen. Genesis 50, verse 15 when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus shall you say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father and Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, life lessons from the life of Joseph. Life lessons from Joseph. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we need you tonight. Dear God, we're praying that you'd speak to us through your word. God, your word has always been official to us. You promised that your word would not return void unto us. So, Lord, we're praying that it would go forth and do its intended purpose tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Give him another hand for his word. There's an old story of two uh, farmers that met uh, on the highway one day. And one of the farmers said to the other one, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful day yesterday. And so I decided to go out and take a long walk. And his buddy said to him, well, that's good. He said, no, that was bad. He said, well, why do you say that? He said, well, I was looking around and looking at the beautiful skies, looking at the green grass and the beautiful trees. I was just pondering all of that. I didn't look where I was going. And I walked and I fell right into a, uh, an, an empty well. He said, well, that was bad. He said, no, that was good. He said, well, why do you say that? He said, because when I fell in that well, I saw that somebody had hidden $25,000 in cash in that well. He said, well, that was good. He said, no, that was bad. He said, well, why in the world would you say that? He said, because I was stuck in a well. I didn't have any way to get myself out of the well, let alone a, a way to get the cash out of the well. He said, well, that was bad. He said, no, that was good. He said, well, why? He said, well, I screamed out as loud as I could and a fella heard me and threw a rope down into the well and helped me and the $25,000 cash to get up out of the well. He said, well, that was good. He said, no, that was bad. He said, well, why would you say that? He said, because that fella was an IRS agent. <laughs> he said, well, that was bad. He said, no, that was good. He said, because he not only took away the $25,000 cash, but he also charged me for all my back taxes. He said, well, that was bad. He said, no, that was good. Because my mother-in-law said, I won't live with a man like that, and she moved out. And his buddy said, that was good. He said, you mighty right, that was good. Amen. Sometimes in life, it is difficult for us to know what's really bad and really good. There are circumstances that we think are terrible circumstances. Paul understood that in Romans chapter 5. He said that the things in this life, the sufferings of this present world are working in us. They are working for our benefit. They are creating in us patience. And patience creates in us experience and experience hope because of the love of God that is shed abroad by the Holy Ghost that's giving to us. We don't always know what the good and the bad were. My father-in-law has made a lot of moves. I think, Crystal, you went to how many schools growing up? Ten different schools in what, 15 years? No, 12 years. Went to, to, to 15 different schools. He was, uh, Jimmy has been a baseball coach 
He has been the uh, uh, a uh, manager of a boys' home. He has been a superintendent of the schools. He's been a uh, a dean of a college. Uh, he's also when he'd get bored with that, he would do ranch work. He's served at two or three different ranches. And, uh, oh, yeah, he also pastors some churches along and along. And uh, he made a move back, oh, about 25 years ago to a town in West Texas called Kermit, Texas, that the only way I can describe it to you would be it's like Pearson without all the natural beauty. And so he... He went out to Kermit, and he hated it there. It was a nasty little rundown town. It was one of those old boom towns, and uh, and and uh, the boom had went boom. It, it was a depressed little town, depressed uh, community, kind of not a, kind of a nasty little town, and the people there were were snooty. There was a lot of politics in the school system. He was the superintendent. He hated it there. And he will tell you to this day that the reason that they moved to Kermit was so Crystal could beat me in that time. Crystal won't tell you that, but her daddy will tell you that. That's where we met. If we give over control of our lives to the Lord, then sometimes we have to take the circumstances of life that are even the negative circumstances of life and believe that God is working not only sometimes in spite of those, but sometimes he is working through those. Sometimes he is using those for our good. Now, we're not talking about when we make decisions that are bad decisions. Obviously, if we make uh, poor decisions, we can't, we can't, if we, I've known people that have had a good job and just up and quit it because they get aggravated, upset. They just quit, quit a job without having another one and then they go hungry, they can't blame that on the Lord. They made a bad decision. But here's the wonderful thing about God is that when we turn even our mistakes over to them, he will turn around and work those mistakes together for our good. Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God to those that are the called according to his purpose. Not some things, not good things, all things work together for our good. If ever a man experienced this, and here's the problem with testimonies. Testimonies tell a lot better than they live. Anybody ever notice that? That, that when you're going through it, everybody loves to saying, I'm living by faith in Jesus above until it's your cupboard that's bare, till it's your refrigerator that's empty, till it's your report that it's cancer. Then all of a sudden, it doesn't sound so good to live by faith. I don't know about you, I like having money in the bank account. I like having food in the cupboard, right? So uh, it, it sounds real good when you condense all of that down to a five-minute testimony and everybody shouts, but when you're living through it, it doesn't feel as good. It looks better in the rearview mirror than it did while you were passing through. And if anybody ever experienced that, it was Joseph. And I think there's some things that we can learn from the life of Joseph through our journey in life. First thing I think we learn from Joseph is don't give in to pressure. Don't give in to pressure. Many, I've been here so long, there's hardly anything I can tell you about me that you don't know. So most of you know I had a terrible accident uh, 28 years ago and that uh, that accident has left this leg just a wee bit shorter than the other leg. And most of the time, nobody would notice. But when I get tired, I start hobbling a little bit. Not enough that most people would notice, but I notice. I start giving into that leg. Have you ever had a, a, some type of, of, of ailment or some type of dysfunction or some type of, of a problem that you, if you didn't watch yourself, you started giving into it? It's real easy for you to give into depression, give in to discouragement. And it's real easy for you to give in to pressure, whether it's external pressure or internal pressure. Sometimes it's that voice in your ear, and I do believe that Satan talks through these voices. It's that voice in your ear telling you that you're not good enough. I don't know about you, but many times my failures scream at me. 
My insecurities are louder than my faith. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever felt that way? And we also have to watch out, especially young people, have to watch out for peer pressure. But let's face it, that's not just true of young people. It's true of all of us. Now, the difference is, is that as we get older, we change our peers. But it doesn't mean that our peers have less influence on us than they ever did. When we're going to school, we don't have a choice of our peers. As we grow older, sometimes we have more of a choice of our peers. But many of those type things, the people that are around us. Now, you know the story of Joseph, and I won't go through every detail of his life, but you know how Joseph was the son of Rachel, the woman that his dad Jacob really loved. Uh, he had brothers that were the children of Leah. He had brothers that were the children of handmaidens, but he was the first son of Jacob and Rachel, and, ja and Jacob loved him. Not only that, but he was the son of his father's old age. And so his father kind of doted on him and spoiled him. And he gave him a coat of many colors and it made his brothers jealous of him. And to top it all, he had dreams where he dreamed that he and his brothers were out in the, uh, uh, out in the field and they were you know, gathering the wheat. And when they'd gathered the big sheaves of wheat, they uh, all, 12 of them had gathered those, all of his brother's sheaves bowed down to his sheaves. And, of course, he made the mistake of sharing that with his brothers, and they, uh, they were offended by that. And then he had another dream that the stars of heaven and the sun and the moon paid, uh, you know, obedience to, to his star. And even his daddy spoke up and said, Son, do you, you think we're going to bow down before you too? But his brothers had wrong motives. Now, I have heard people preach about Joseph and they try to make much of Joseph and say, well, he was arrogant, he was spoiled and all that. I think that's kind of reading between the lines where there's not anything between the lines. I never see in the scripture any inkling of a criticism of Joseph. I do think it might be worth saying that perhaps he didn't use wisdom, but I see in him a young man that's dedicated wanting to do what's right, wanting to do that that's good wanting to live right, wanting to be true to his parents, to, true to his father. And he sees that his brothers are involved in things that are not, uh, are not upright. And he reports that back to his father. Now look, he was surrounded by brothers that, that could have, if he had been willing, pressured him into going along with the things that they did. He stood in that moment up against the pressure to be like the rest. There's something that when I was growing up, there was an understanding that Christians were different than the world. And we were okay with this. And, I, and I, I'm not trying to throw, you know, uh, a, a mucking wrench into the works here by saying this because I... Uh, I, I, I'm open to, to uh, all kinds of musical expressions and I'm open to, to innovation and worship and all of that kind of stuff. But it does seem like that when I was growing up, the church had its own songs and we were okay with that. We, we didn't really care whether or not the world liked our music. We didn't judge ourselves by whether or not it was like the world. We didn't judge our dress by what the world liked. When I was coming up, and I know I'm getting older because I keep saying when I was coming up, but when I was coming up, we saw being ostracized from the world as a badge of honor. Anybody relate to what I'm saying to you? that we just didn't care that much if people were impressed with us. And somehow or another, and I understand, I'm not talking about going back to legalism. I, I don't think that's the answer. But what I'm telling you is, I, I, I think that we have mistaken in our day relevance with acceptance. And if you think the world's going to accept us, you got another thing coming. I'm saying that we put ourselves under a pressure sometime to be like the world, to act like the world, to look like the world. When we were on the other side of the track, we 
we took that difference as a badge of honor. Now we're embarrassed about it. Anybody know what I'm saying? But Joseph did not give in to the pressure to forsake his dreams. He did not give in to the pressure to forsake his integrity. He did not go along to get along. He knew that he was different. He knew that he was called. He knew that he was chosen. And he was okay with that. Even if he was hated for it, he was going to be true to who he was. And we have to return to a sense of not giving in to the pressure of the world. That there, we don't have anything to apologize about being a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't have anything to back up with because we live right and talk right and act right. We don't have to try to be a knockoff of the world. First of all, let me tell you that doesn't work. That doesn't work. If we think we're going to entertain people into salvation, we got another thing coming because the world's got better light shows and better fog machines and better speakers. and they, They've got better equipment. They've got, I hate to say this, as wonderful as our musicians are, they've got more and better musicians. They've got, they've got a lot more. What they do not have is they do not have the Holy Ghost of God and they do not have eternal life. And what we've got is something that's going to last for time and eternity and we don't have to give into the pressure as a church or as an individual to be like the world. Acceptance from God is more important than acceptance from the world. Now, when the Bible says that we're peculiar people, it doesn't mean that that means unique. And it means that we are uniquely God's property, exclusively God's property. It doesn't mean that we're weird. We don't have to be spiritual granola, you know, fruit, flakes, and nuts. We don't have to be like that. The world's got enough of those, and God knows there's enough of them in the church, and about 75% of them are Pentecostal, right? We don't have to be weird, but we do have to be different. And the world sees by our difference, not by why we look like them, act like them, talk like them. I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned. I still don't think Christians ought to talk ugly. Maybe I'm just old-fashioned, but I, I think that there are words that a Christian shouldn't hear and shouldn't say. Right? I'll tell you this. I think there's some habits of the flesh that we need to reject. Right? I hate to say this to you, but I ain't no sipping saint. <laughs> I, I'm still asking the Lord to deliver me from Coca-Cola, but other than that, I, I pretty much stay away from everything, everything else. Now, I know there are people that feel freedom to do certain things that, that I don't do, and I don't want to judge other people by my convictions, but can I say this with you? I'm going to dance with the one that brung me. Living this way has kept me safe for 50 years, and I'm going to dance with the one that brung me. You might then go to heaven skirting some lines, but I won't tell you, you can for sure get there by not skirting them. And we don't have to apologize for being People of the word and people of the spirit and people, we don't have to give in to the pressure. Joseph was not willing to give in to the pressure of his brothers. Not only that, but Joseph was also not willing to give over to passion. He did not give over to passion. You remember how, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more in just a moment, but how that Joseph... Uh, his brothers sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him. Instead, one of them said, well, let's just throw him in a pit and sell him. Saved his life. And they threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. He went to Egypt. He got over in Egypt. And the Lord prospered him. And we'll remember this for later. The Lord prospered him even in his slavery. And Potiphar made him ruler over his house because he saw the hand of God working in his life. And then, as things begin to get better, then all of a sudden... Satan raised his ugly head, but the problem was is it wasn't an ugly head. It was a pretty young head. You say, well, how do you know that Potiphar's wife was pretty and young? Because rich men don't marry ugly old women. Right? And remember, she said she saw Joseph, and she said to Joseph, lie with me. Don't you love the, 
economy of the words of the King James Version. Lie with me. Now, she didn't say across the room, lie with me. Don't you know she got close enough for him to smell her perfume and look into her eyes? And I want you to think about this. Joseph had had a dream and he had told his dream to his brothers and to his father and his dream got him sold into slavery and now he was in a position that he was being promoted. This was a powerful woman. He could have even reasoned, this is how twisted sin can make you, he could have even reasoned that God would work through this illicit affair with this wealthy woman to get him in the position that he needed to go. There was a lot of reasons. Also, he was you know, probably about 17 years old or so, or maybe early 20s, and, and he had every one of the hormones that a young man, 18, 19, 20-year-old had. It made sense for that. There was this, these passions that were warring in him. Here's what the Bible says about passions. Uh, Romans 6, 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And let me, let me teach you a little bit about that word lust because when we say lust, we automatically think sexual lust and when we think lust, we automatically think something that's bad. But the Bible says, the Bible uses that same Greek word to describe Jesus' desire to feast the last supper with his disciples. In fact, the Bible says, and the King James translates it this way, that the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And all that lust means is, is a strong, overwhelming desire. You can have that strong, overwhelming desire to do what's right. It has to do with your passion. The Bible says that we are living in a day where people, they're, belly is their God and that they glory in their shame. They, are act, they actually glory in their freedom to fulfill not only natural lusts, natural affections, natural passions, but to fulfill unnatural passions and lusts. And they're, because their God is their belly. Now why does the Bible say that God is their belly? because we're taught that's the center of appetite. So it doesn't matter what the appetite's for, and let me say this about appetites, they are normal and natural. God created them, and God said they were good, but God also gave you legitimate ways to fulfill those appetites or passions, and anything outside of those legitimate ways are destructive for you, and they're an offense to a holy God. But God protects those by giving you legitimate ways to express those passions. And here's the thing. Sin is simply trying to fulfill God-given appetites in illegitimate ways. Trying to fulfill legitimate appetites in illegitimate ways. If you try to fulfill your desire for possessions, because there are things we need. We need food, clothing, shelter. If you try to fulfill that desire in an illegitimate way or that desire gets out of whack, it becomes overwhelming, that's called greed. Right? If you try to fulfill the desire, the sexual desire that's outside of one man, one woman, for life, in a marriage relationship, if you try to fulfill that outside of that, that's called lust. So, there are these natural desires, but we don't obey those natural desires for our harm. In fact, Romans 13 and 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So he had these natural desires, but when he went into the house on business, the Bible says, when he went into the house doing his job, Potiphar's wife called him by the coat and said, lie with me. Now, he did not make excuses to go into the house. He didn't make up reasons to be around us. Scripture teaches us that we are tempted when we are drawn away by our own lust. 
There are certain temptations that come to us from out of the blue. We have nothing to do with. There are other temptations that come to us because we have put ourselves in a position to be tempted. And so uh, he went into the house on business. He didn't make up reasons. Let me tell you, you get a fellow that's, I don't know, about 50 years old and his hairline starts to recede and his waistline starts to expand and his ego starts to decrease and he has a, a, a young lady working in the office building with him and she laughs at all of his jokes. It's real easy for him to find excuses to pass by her desk. And he doesn't, he doesn't think, oh, I'm going to have an affair on my wife. He doesn't think I'm going to do anything. He thinks in his mind it's innocent. But it feeds that in him. It feeds that ego. His wife hadn't laughed at his jokes in years. Crystal still laughs at my jokes when they're funny, which is rare. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, that old sorry old dirty old man. All right, what about the 45, 50-year-old woman whose husband's not as attentive as he used to be? Who the man that works in her office building is always, he, he remembers her birthday. Right? He looks at her when she talks to him. He seems to be interested. If that person's not careful, that Christian woman is not careful she begins to make reasons to interact with him. I'm just saying to you that you have to be wise and not be drawn away these circumstances can draw you away when I pastored up uh, near Statesboro Crystal went out to visit her family in Texas and um, there was a young lady in the church that uh, dressed rather provocatively and she came to me and she said, can I stop by and talk with you about some things that are going on in my life? And I said, yeah, let me tell you who's really good at that stuff. My wife is wonderful at that stuff. When she gets back from Texas, we'd, I'd love for you to come down and sit and talk to, to her and to me about it. Well, she never came. I'm not saying she was trying to make a play for me or not. I'm just saying I was, given, I was not giving her or me the opportunity for anything to develop. He did not give over to his passions. She called him by the coat and he said to her, uh, how can I do this sin against Potiphar and against God? I'm not going to sin against my master. He's been good to me. But more importantly, I'm not going to sin against God. I want you to know you can hurt other people. You can damage other people. You can betray other people, but sin is between you and God. And you need to realize that when you compromise your faith by your word, your thoughts, or your actions, you're, you are hurting. That's old saying, oh, it's all right if it doesn't hurt anybody. It always hurts somebody, including you. But more importantly, it's an offense to God. God's a holy, righteous God. And Joseph understood, I'm not going to sin against my master and I'm not going to sin against my God. And she held on to his coat and he, he just ran and left his coat behind. Now listen to me. If he had wrestled over his coat, that story would have had a different ending. <laughs> You got to know, I've, I've counseled young men to know when to leave their coat behind. Many years ago when I was an evangelist, there was a young man who had entered into an inappropriate relationship with a girl, and he was talking to me about it, and I said, well, man, if you love that girl, marry her. If you don't, you need to break it off because y'all are not going to be able to continue to date without going back to that same level of intimacy that you've gotten used to. You just need to you need to, if you don't love her, break it off, move on. If you do love her, y'all get married, make it right, and live for the Lord. And he said, well, that's what I'm going to do. He said, but I left my coat at her house. So I, after I go to her house and get my coat, right, 
Joseph didn't wrestle for his coat. In fact, the Bible does not tell us to fight youthful lust. It tells us to flee youthful lust. There are some things that you wrestle with. There are other things you run from. And you can wrestle with principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places through the power of the Spirit. But when it comes to your own lustful desires, you've got to flee them. You can't be drawn away. So you, have, you cannot give in to the passion. Now, I know that sounds like a message to teenagers, and I'm looking out at this crowd, and I see some people saying, boy, I just wish I still had a paddle over that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you, it doesn't matter. You can fill in the blank with what it is. It, let me say this way. If you, if you wrestle with depression, maybe you ought to turn Fox News off every once in a while. Right? If you, if you wrestle with a sense of, 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 uh, of, of kind of a listlessness, maybe you need to get up and go start doing something to help somebody else and make yourself productive in life. Always been inspired by Cynthia. Surprised to hear myself say that. But I have. Cynthia's been through a lot. I mean, she's been through a lot in the last few years. But you know what Cynthia does? Cynthia gets out of her house, puts on her clothes, gets out of her house. She goes to the hospital. She goes to the nursing home. She goes to the funeral homes. She goes here and there trying to uplift people. That's what keeps her going is because she has, she's found, I can't stay in that house with the shades drawn. I've got to get out and help somebody else. What I'm saying is you cannot get over to your passions. You can't be drawn away by your lust if you're going to fulfill God's will for your life. And then that, this is the thing. Not only did he not give in to pressure and give over to passions, but he did not give up on the promise. He didn't give up on the promise. As a, as a young man, he had a dream. As a young man, he had a dream that he was going to rule. And that, and that dream took him down a serpentine-shaped path that, that ne it looked like for his entire life he was heading in the opposite direction of the dream. He tells his dream to his brothers. They sell him into slavery. He gets into slavery and things start going well for him and then he is tempted and he passes the test. He passed the test of pressure with his brothers. He passed the test of passion with Potiphar's wife and she lies on him and he gets uh, uh, unjustly convicted, thrown into prison and he is languishing, languishing in prison but even in prison the hand of God is upon him. I, I, this guy makes me ashamed of myself. If that had happened to me, I would have probably been the worst prisoner in the place. Right? I would have said, you think I'm going to do anything for you, sap sucker? I ain't supposed to be here. I did what was right. Do you think I would have been the best slave that Potiphar had if my brothers had sold me into slavery? I think I'd have had a chip on my shoulder. I think I'd have had an attitude problem. I would have thought, well, while you're looking... I'm going to grind your corn. But when your back's turned, I'm going to take a nap. Not Joseph. Joseph said, I may be a slave, but I'll be the best slave he's got. And God prospered him even in his slavery. And then he passes the test of passion. He gets knocked back again. Thrown. He's no longer a slave. He's in prison. He's a prisoner. His reputation is, is up in flames. Well, I'll just be the best prisoner they got. So they just made him the ward of the prison. He was running the prison. My, my, my dad, after he retired from the postal service for about 10 or 12 years, he and mom cleaned the Ford dealership at night. And the guy that ran the Ford dealership would call him in 
Daddy up there scrubbing toilets, he'd call him in and say, what do you think? We're about to do so-and-so. What do you think about that? <laughs> That's the way Joseph was. It, it didn't matter what circumstance you put him in, he rose to the top. So he gets into prison, and in prison, he meets these two guys, you know, the, that to say it simply, the butler and the baker. And they both had dreams, and he interpreted their dreams. And one of them, he said, you know, in, in three days, you're going to be set free and re, you know, put back in your position to the other one. He said, three days, you're going to be, be taken out too, but you're, you're going to the gallows. And to the one that, that was set free, was so grateful, he said, just remember me when you get out. And he did. What, about 15 years later? How long was it? How much? How, seven years later. That's a college boy there. Seven years later, languishing in that prison. But then Pharaoh has a dream. And it dawn on, dawns on him. I remember the young man in the prison. And in one day, he was taken from the prison to the palace. I love this about him. When he got the call, you know what he did? He ran out of there as fast as he could, went right to Pharaoh's. No. He said, well, let me shave first. Let me put on some nicer clothes. Let me get presentable. I'm going to tell you, if I'd been languishing in prison for seven years, if I had languished all those years into slavery, if I'd been through all of that, I don't think I'd have been as calm and as confident as Joseph was, but Joseph had a promise, and he didn't give up on the promise. And somehow he saw the hand of God working. He didn't live, you know, he wasn't a member of the church of God. He wasn't, he wasn't baptized in the Holy Ghost. In fact, you might not even know this, Joseph wasn't even a Christian. Because, you know, Jesus hadn't come yet. It was Old Testament. But all of the knowledge he had, he believed all that he had. And he knew that God had given him a promise and he held on to the promise. He didn't give up on the promise. And in one day, he was taken from the prison to the palace. But this is the thing that really overwhelmed me about it. Not only did he not give in to the pressure and give over to the passion and refuse to give up on the, on the promise, but he also did not give out on purpose. He saw that God had a purpose for his life. I want you to understand that this story of Joseph was never about Joseph. God had made a promise to Abraham. He had made a promise to Abraham that his children were going to be as the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven and that through him Messiah would come, the Savior would come. And God knew that a famine was coming to the world. And God needed somebody, a man, to be in Egypt to prepare enough food so that the people of God, the Israel and his children, would have a place to ride out the famine. So Joseph's life was all about God working his purpose because God had made not just a promise to him but a promise to Abraham. But Abraham's promise wasn't even about Abraham. In the Garden of Eden, when God was speaking the curses for the failures of Adam and Eve, he said, you're going to have, Adam, you're going to have to, to uh, work by the, and earn your living by the sweat of your brow. Eve, you're going to bear children in pain. And he turned to the serpent and the rest of your life, you're going to have to crawl on your belly in the dust and eat the dust. And then he said this, Genesis 3.18, what they call the proto-evangelium. It is the gospel foretold. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between her seed and thy seed. And you will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That was a prophecy 
of the Lord Jesus Christ that was to come. And God looked down 2,000 years later and saw Abraham and spoke to Abraham so that through the family of Abraham, Messiah would come. So even Abraham wasn't about Abraham. And Joseph wasn't about Joseph. And this is where we miss it sometimes. We think, and I'm going to tell you preachers are the world's worst about doing it. We think it's all about God's promises to me. Instead of saying God's promises to me are about me being a part of his purpose. I'm part of something higher than just where I live, the clothes I wear, the car I drive. I'm part of something higher than just whether or not I like my job. I'm part of something higher than whether or not I I feel good about life. It's not just about God fulfilling his promises to me, although God is good and gracious and thank God for his wonderful promises and provision, but it's about that I'm part of something bigger and that God is using the circumstances of my life to position me in the place that I can fulfill his purpose in the earth through my life. Look at how many people God would use if he could look down from heaven and say, I can trust them that I can put them through the ringer and they're going to hold on to the promise and they're not going to give out on purpose. So his brothers come to him. Daddy's dead. Jacob, Israel is dead. And they said, oh, now Jacob's going to get, or Joseph's going to get us back. In fact, they send, they send out a, a, a warning shot. They send word to him to fill him out. And they said, hey, by the way, Daddy said, we need to you know, kind of ask you to forgive us you know, for that whole like selling you into slavery thing. You, you know, boys, we boys. You know, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Listen to Joseph's response. Am I God? Am I in the place of God? Well, that's, that's hard for me. Hard for me for me, and it's real hard for me with my family. We can, we can pray over a situation. We can pray over a job opportunity or pray over a promotion. We can pray and say, now, Lord, if this isn't your will for us, Don't let it happen. And then when it doesn't happen, we get a little upset and aggravated at the people that didn't let it happen. Right? How about you? Anybody else that way? Y'all real quiet, so either this is the worst sermon I've ever preached or I'm hitting the mark. I can't tell. I choose to believe the second one. (laughs) But Joseph said, I've handed my life over to God. And he's in control. So why should I hold a grudge about what you did? He said, now I know what you did, you did for evil. But God meant it for good. To bring to pass as it is today, much people alive. Now, I'm not saying that we should never seek for God to change circumstances. I don't even believe that's biblical. I'm not saying that when bad things happen or things don't work out our way, we shouldn't do some self-examination and see whether we made the right choices, the right decisions. I'm not saying we should never get involved and be proactive about our jobs and our lives and, and that we shouldn't make good decisions. I'm not saying any of that, but I'm saying that in doing all of that, when we've handed over to the Lord and we believe his word that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord and we believe his word that a man's heart deviseth his way but the Lord directs his steps and things don't go our way, we can still say God's in control. When things go our way, we say thank God he's in control. When the doors open, we say praise the Lord, he's in control. When the door's slammed in our face, we say praise the Lord, he's in control. He's directing my steps as much when 
I get fired as he is when I get hired. He's directing my step as much when I'm denied as he is when I'm promoted. He's in control of my life. He can jerk me through any knot hole that he wants to to position me and get me in the right place to fulfill his purpose. And yes, there may be people in the earth that are working against me, but they don't know while they're working against me, God's using what they're doing to work for me that he'll fulfill his promise and fulfill his purpose in and through my life. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Don't give out on purpose. Now, with what I do, it's easy to make those connections because as ministers, we kind of, this is kind of the air we breathe. It's kind of the atmosphere that we live in. It's, it's, our, it's our natural habitat to think about God moving in our lives. But I don't believe that's exclusive to preachers, do you? I believe that's true of housewives and teachers and doctors and lawyers and mechanics and uh, electricians. I believe it's true of truck drivers. I believe it's true of anybody who is a child of God that God is intimately concerned with who I am and where I am and he has things that he wants to do for me and things he wants to do through me and that I can trust him and I can say, Lord, wherever you want me to be, even if it means that it's adversity that gets me there, Lord, position me where you want me to be so that I can claim your promises and I can fulfill your purpose for me. And that, you know what that allows you to do? That allows you to forgive. It allows you to forgive yourself. Because the first thing that happens when things don't go my way, I don't blame everybody else. I look in the mirror and I say, boy, you're a failure. You're not good enough. And can I be honest with you enough to say, if I'm not careful, I'll kind of start feeling that way about, Lord, do you love somebody else more than you love me? Why aren't things working out as good for me as they are for others? Am I the only one that ever dares to feel that way? And you start praying that way. You start accusing yourself and then accusing God. You start doubting yourself and you start doubting Him. But if you can grab a hold of His purpose for your life in good and bad, in the mountains and the valleys, in the day and the night, if you just grab a hold and say, Lord, I know you're the one that gave me the dreams. I know you're the one that, that and you're faithful, the one that promised is faithful. And I know you've got a purpose for my life. And it allows you to just start forgiving other people and forgiving yourself. And it allows you to start loving others and loving yourself and loving the Lord freely. And all of a sudden, those people that meant harm to you, but it worked out for good, you say, oh, you silly little thing. I know what you're trying to do, but God was in it all along, so don't worry about it. I'm gonna take care of you too. Come here and let me give you some sugar. Let me love on you a little bit because God's been in control of the whole thing. Now, if there has ever been the ultimate fulfillment of that, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says that there's not a one of us yet that's resisted unto blood striving against sin. Whatever you are going through or have been through or will ever go through, it's still going to be massively less than what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But Satan dug his talon claws into the petty, jealous minds of the chief priests that conspired with the jelly backbone pilot to condemn Jesus for death. And the Roman soldiers, bloodlust, beating him within an inch of his life, nailing him to a rugged cross, lowering that cross with a thud into the ground. 
And when he gave up the ghost to confirm that he was dead, taking a Roman spear and piercing up and through the pericardium of his heart and blood and water flows. And oh my, how the demons of hell must have rejoiced that the promised one, the Son of God, God in the flesh is dead. Jesus said, that's all right. I know why you did it. You did it for evil, but God meant it for good. And on the third day, he rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave and fulfilled his purpose and grasped God's promise so that the very thing that the devil did to stop the plan of God was the thing that God used to fulfill his plan. You know, there's a reason that the Lord lets the devil run around and do the things he does, don't you? You know, he doesn't even have to snap his fingers for Satan to disappear into oblivion like he's never existed. But did you know all of those things that Satan does against you, his devilish imps do against you, as subtle as he is, he's not bright enough to understand that the things he's doing to stymie the plan of God are actually working together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Don't give out on your purpose. Don't give in to the pressure. Don't give over to your passions. Don't give up on his promises. And don't give out on your purpose. We have a God that is faithful. And when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. For these earthly sufferings these temporary sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the most exceeding weight of glory that awaits us. Would you stand? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we love you. We praise you, God, because you are large and in charge. You are in control of every circumstance and every situation that concerns us concerns your children. God, we're not infallible. We're fallible. Lord, we can make mistakes. We can get in your way. We can get out of your will. It's not automatic. But Lord, somehow you such a great